Well, welcome to 715, everybody. My name is Tellus. I'm the youth pastor here on staff at Grace Covenant Church. And can we just give it up for the worship team one more time? I, wherever you're at in your home, just thank God for them ushering us into a moment of worship. It's always a special time when you get to gather, and hopefully we get to see you guys in person soon on a Sunday. And thank you guys for tuning in for 715. Well, we've been in a series recently um, talking about the book of Colossians, taking a deep dive into this book of Colossians, talking about timeless, tr- timeless truths for the times that we're in. And we are certainly in some uncertain times, if we can say it lightly. Um, we've been taking this book verse by verse, passage by passage, talking through what can we glean from the text, from the scriptures, verse by verse, and seeing what God can say to us in this moment. It's a special moment, and I've enjoyed going into this book, a deep dive, so much, trying to study week by week. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, I just want to say thank you guys for dedicating time every single week to go through this book with us, to see what God is trying to teach us in the text so that we can live the lives that he's called us to live. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23 tonight. Um, And just a little recap of what we've been talking about so far is we've been talking about the preeminence of Christ. This whole book is Paul writing to this church at Colossae, talking about what is this new Christian life we've been given freely by Christ and the preeminence of Christ, making Jesus alone the center and the source of our lives, that we do not have to remain captive to the things that Christ has freed us from. That's what we're about to get into. Pastor AJ, last week, if you haven't listened to this message, I encourage you guys after this message, go listen to that message. Preached an amazing uh, 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 teaching about five truths, and he titled his message, The Truth Will Set You Free. And this passage that we're about to talk about right now is coming on the heels of that passage and almost, I would dare I say, a part two. Last week, Pastor AJ talked about how we have this sin that Christ has taken upon himself, and from that point, he has nailed our sins to the cross, putting them to open shame. He has, we, have, we have died with Christ, and now because of what he's done, we get to live in these truths that set us free, that we don't have to be bound to what we were before, but now because of Christ and his preeminence, because of what he's done, and because of the cutting away and this circumcision made without hands, we get to walk in the fullness of life with Christ. We are alive in Christ. And now these truths guide us towards living the purpose-filled life that God has called us to live. After we understand these truths, Paul, at the end of of, of, of Colossians chapter two, starts his sentence with therefore. And whenever we see a therefore, maybe you can go back to English class in high school, we have to see what is the therefore, therefore, right? We think about why are we now at this point? And Paul goes into not these truths after he's been admonishing them about the centrality and the source of Jesus as your life. And now he gets into some issues finally at the church of Colossae, the reason almost to why he is writing. So we get to chapter two of Colossians, verses 16 through 23, and it says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you and question of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. In verse 20, if with Christ then you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, and they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What a passage. What I want to title this message today, after Pastor AJ's message of the truth that sets you free, we're going to talk about the lies that keep you captive. The lies that keep you captive. And if there was a subtitle to this message, it would be qualified by Christ. The lies that keep you captive, qualified by Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. God, would you open up your word to us as we study? Would we glean from the text what you want to speak to us by your spirit? We thank you so much for giving us the Holy Scriptures, God, that we can live the life that you've called us to live. Jesus, would you be at the center of our minds and of our hearts in this moment? Open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear exactly what you want to speak to us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here, Paul, throughout this entire book, has been talking about the centrality of Jesus, alive in Christ, the preeminence of Christ, talking about how he is so glad that the church at Colossae has received this revelation, and he is so excited for them and what they've been given. And here's the first time we see Paul essentially telling them, we are so happy about what has happened to you at your church, you receiving the revelation of the gospel, and now he gets to the issue of, if you have received all of these things, then why are you indulging in the life that you have just been freed from? We see 2000, two, almost 2,000 years ago, Paul addressing similar things that we might even be dealing with today. It's easy to look at the scriptures and say, oh, well, that's what they did, and they lived a life, and yet they had all these interesting traditions and rules, and they, they were always away from, from this, and Paul had to write all these letters and correct all these people, but I really assume that if I was in antiquity, I would probably be getting one of these letters from Paul. And one of the issues that the Church of Colossae had is that they had a lot of false teachers that were coming to them, preaching and teaching, giving ideologies and philosophies, theologies about God that were saying, you have to do these things to be accepted by God. Now, obviously, none of us would ever lean towards that side, right? We would never think, oh, no, I'm freed from that. I, I never do anything that because I think God will be more pleased with me. But they are falling subject to these false teachings at the Church of Colossae. Pastor Corey preached an amazing message in one of his, a few weeks ago, and one of his main points was, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we see right here that the church of Colossae was tempted to believe Jesus and, and not only Jesus. 
The church at Colossae was tempted to believe Jesus and, and not simply only Jesus. They were adding to what Jesus had already done. Pastor AJ last week was mentioning a circumcision done without hands and that this was a new form of our covenant being brought into the family of Christ, the cutting away of old flesh. And now we've been brought in by Jesus being cut away. And now we are brought in in purity to the life that Christ wants us to be in. We died and were raised with him. And it's interesting that our potholes really haven't changed in a couple thousand years, have they? are still struggling with the same potholes. The church at Colossae was struggling with supplementing your relationship with God based off of mystical experiences, based off of visions, based off of ideas and theologies and philosophies that were incumbent on that church and trying to steer them away from Jesus. This church was fighting the urge to at least supplement and at most substitute the gospel. The church was fighting the urge to at least supplement and at most substitute the gospel. We're going to go verse by verse for a couple minutes, and I hope that you read along with me. It says in verse 16 of Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. I have three points that I want to make tonight. And these three points are the lie of conduct, the lie of concept, and the truth of Christ. The lie of conduct, the lie of concept, and the truth of Christ. And in verse 16, right here, what we see is, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of what food or drink regard to festival, new moon, or Sabbath. And we see this, and Paul is essentially saying, since he is writing to people who have come into the faith, Paul himself was a Jewish man, and so Jews had a bunch of laws and traditions and rules by which they were to adhere to in order that they were to be in God's good graces. They had things like kosher diet, right? What you ate and what you drank. They had ideas and and traditions like Sabbaths and new moons and festivals, things that were essential, that were very important to the Jewish tradition, very important to the Israelites, very important to the people of God. And when Jesus came, Jesus did not come to abolish, but to fulfill all of these things. And now this church is being tempted to go back to these things. Why? Maybe because it's what they've always known. Why? Maybe because it's easier. It's easier to judge my relationship with God off of what I do, right? It's pretty easy to say, if I do this, God will be pleased with me. The Sabbath, simply referring to weekly observations, Church, if you will. New moon festivals, a monthly observation. Festivals, yearly observations. And in their time, these were meant to point towards the power and the grace of God. But what once was a blessing now had become harmful to the church. What was once supposed to be something that pointed towards God's grace and his mercy, his power, his faithfulness, now had become a stumbling block for the church at Colossae. They now started to substitute these things for Jesus. Over time, they served the tradition instead of the tradition serving them. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 12, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. As in Jesus is saying, these traditions 
These things are meant to serve you, point to me, but now we have become slaves to these things as if they were our God in the first place. That we have, at worst, substituted God for Sabbath, for Sunday. We come to church and we think, oh, we're fine because now I've come to church and I did my weekly duty. God is pleased with me. But no, 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 that would never be us, right? We'd never be those people who did something out of habit and think that God was pleased with us. We're cheating ourselves when we settle for traditions over treasure. And our true treasure is found in Christ. And in Christ alone. Similarly to today, we have some performance-based religion that's infiltrating the church. This idea that I am as loved as I am good. This idea that I am as close to God as the distance between my sins. If I sin frequently, I'm not close to God. If I sin infrequently, I'm close to God. If I do good things, then I'm close to God. God loves me more. He's pleased with me. If I do bad things, God doesn't like me that much. He's, he wants me to fix up my act. He wants me to pull myself up by my bootstraps and get a little bit better. This performance-based religion, and this church at Colossae had the same thing. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you for what you eat or what you drink or festivals or new moon. Now, we would never say that food or drink is evil or good inherently. But in the Jewish, well, maybe unless you're vegan, right? <laughs> you would say, no, some foods are bad and evil. But the Jewish mindset, no, none of us would say, oh, these foods are, are inherently bad. But for a Jewish person, there were some foods that were bad, that they were not supposed to eat. There were some ways that they were not supposed to eat it. If you were Jewish, you were supposed to uh, maybe fast, right? Observe fasting that you weren't supposed to eat food that was offered to idols, that you weren't supposed to eat with certain people that be Samaritans or Gentiles. Paul was even talking about this in Galatians, that you weren't supposed to eat unclean food, certain foods that God laid out that were clean and unclean. And these Jews were holding fast to these traditions and forgetting their treasure. They saw these things as simple ways to please a simple God. Uh, I remember when, when I was at school, I would be inviting a bunch of my friends to come to church, right? And as soon as I would come to church, I'd say, man, church is going to be great. Like, it, it's a great service, super casual. You can come through. You can dress however you want. And, 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 and we have these almost traditions that are built in in our culture where some of my friends would come and say, oh, man, no, 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 no. I'm not going to go to church because, like, I'm not holy enough for that. You ever have friends like that that, that don't want to come to church because they think they're too bad for church? That the, the, some of the friends that use some colorful language outside of church, and then when they get inside church, they kind of speak in New King James Version, right? That's the same thing that the church at Colossae was doing, that they are having these ideas on what I can do, what I can't do, what God should, and, what, and, and they were forgetting that their substance is in Christ. They were forgetting Christ, talking about as if there are holy places, just like they thought there were holy foods. Paul wants to get in their eyes off of what they do and put their eyes back on who Jesus is. Not holy things, but a holy God. The new moon and the Sabbath. Well, of course we don't celebrate those things, but sure we do. We celebrate Sunday, don't we? Sure we do. We, we have traditions in the same way that the church at Colossae had traditions, 
And we say, well, yeah, but I mean, those are important. Well, okay, but what about like a Christmas and an Easter, right? We have a Christmas and an Easter, and that could be almost analogous to their festivals that they had Passover. They had things that were pointing to the grace of God, what he did for his people. But at this verse, Paul is saying, let no one pass judgment on you for what you eat or drink, festivals, new moon, or Sabbath. Now, dare I say, Paul is saying that these things, though good in their time, have become bad when you make them God. We come to church maybe weekly. We come to church maybe monthly. We come to church maybe twice a year on Christmas and on Easter and think that this is what God is pleased with. This is my good and proper religion. This is my sacrifice to God. And dare we live that lifestyle and be deceived just like the Colossians were. There isn't anything special about those days in and of themselves. There's something special about our God. And so now every day is a day to celebrate the resurrection, not just on Easter. Why? Because these things were pointing to one greater thing. All of these traditions and rules were pointing to the person of Jesus. And so now Jesus is our Sabbath, not a day. Jesus is our rest, not a certain day of the week. Now we point to Jesus, say Jesus is the resurrection, not a day of the year. We point to Jesus, say Jesus is the incarnate God-man, not just Christmas. This is all pointing and saying, you guys have made such a God out of your traditions that you don't even see the God who died for you. We make these things, God, and don't celebrate him. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for by him all things, were in, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in all things hold together. Why am I saying this? Why are we preaching about this centrality of Jesus? It's because it's all for him. If we can get something out of what Paul is trying to say to the church at Colossae is that Jesus is the point. All these other trappings and things that we add to Jesus, Jesus and Jesus plus, yes, Jesus and my good works, my morality, what I can do are all just shortchanging the actual life that Jesus died for us to have. That we substitute Jesus with things. In verse 17, it says, These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And, and, and what Paul is saying is that these things were all good in their time. God isn't saying that these things are bad. Paul isn't saying that these things are bad, but it becomes bad when we chase the substitute over the substance. When we give these things our attention over God, Jesus came to establish the kingdom of heaven and to give a new life. It says this in John, 5, uh, John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, you are obsessed with these scriptures. 
You are obsessing over the Old Testament. You are obsessing over the law and the prophets and what Moses, and you are obsessing over all these things, and you obsess so much that you don't even know that all of these things are actually pointing to me. They're bearing witness about me. The point is Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will always be Jesus. The point is Jesus. Jesus is now or Sabbath. These things are but a shadow of what is to come. All these things were pointing to the person of Jesus. If we place primary importance on the shadow, when the source comes, we risk forsaking the source. We risk forsaking the source if we place primary importance on the shadow. It's, it's as if I uh, wrote down a list of things that I want in a wife. Right, So imagine that I'm here writing down a list of things that I want in somebody that I want to marry. I write down this list, and I have this list, and I bring it to my family, or I bring it to my covenant brothers, and I say, these are the things that I'm praying for, and these are the things that I want in a wife, and I pray over this list, and I fast over this list, and I believe for this list, and I give attention to this list, and I devote to this, and I say, I want these things, and these things might be good things, and then all of a sudden, I get married. And I get married and I have a wife and we're living together and we have this marriage. And then, and then while I'm married, I go back to this list every night and I say, God, please give me this. I am searching for this. I keep fasting over this list. I keep going to my brothers in Christ over this list. And I keep de- devoting time to this list. And I keep going to this list. What is going to happen? What's going to happen is I'm going to start giving more attention to the shadow rather than the substance. What does that do? That actually takes attention away from the wife that's in front of me. She will end up fe- she'll end up feeling neglected, like I don't care about her, saying, well, these are the things you're praying for, but this is the thing that you prayed for. These are the things that were testified about, and I am the person that was testified about. We, we, we obsess over the shadow of the things to come and ignore the substance. If we aren't vigilant to focus on the substance, it can lead to dangers in our Christian walk. We'll end up praying without paying attention and focusing on God. We'll end up coming to church as part of our weekly routine. We'll end up giving offerings via direct deposit and neglect the heart. We'll end up singing worship songs because we're familiar with the lyrics rather than glorifying God. Perhaps we'll even start tuning out the message that you're listening to right now. We'll end up giving attention to the substitute rather than the substance. And what does this do? This essentially boils God down to a teacher asking for homework. (laughs) Saying, well, did did you do it this week? Did you do it this year? You gave, right? I mean, you just got paid. You, you gave, right? Well, I mean, you must have gone to church, right? You haven't been saying those bad words again, have you? You haven't been hanging out there. Have... We, we end up boiling God down to a teacher asking for homework. Legalism is what we do. It says in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. And how scary of a verse is that? That we simply come to God because we were taught to come to God. Because our culture, our cultural Christianity taught us to come to God. It says in verse 18 and 19, talk about the lie of concepts. Verse 18 and 19 says this, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without any reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Um, I was listening to Pastor AJ's message last week, and I got inspired to teach you guys a Greek word too. So um, today, our Greek word for today is, get ready, tell us, don't mess this up, is tapienofrasune, all right? Tapienofrasune, there we go. This is the word that Paul is using in a, when he uses the word asceticism. Tapienofrasune, that sounds fancy, right? Use that to impress your friends. What that word is, is this idea of false humility, false humility. Humility. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. See, in, the, in, in, in this culture in Colossae, one of their biggest issues is that they were substituting Christ for this shadow, that they were going back to the life that they were just freed from, that I was made alive in Christ, but I'd rather be dead in my sin, that I go back to the thing that God actually took me out of. And for some reason, they kept retreating back to this idea of empty religion, empty actions, doing things for God because he wants me to, and not living the fullness of the life of Christ that he died to give us. A dangerous mentality. A dangerous mentality that Colossae was, was, was getting into. That they were starting to substitute God. And in this culture, they had all these different types of, of ideologies and philosophies on how to live life, not unlike we have today. They had Gnosticism, which just means knowledge. This idea of, of valuing knowledge and getting knowledge, and knowledge will lead to salvation. As long as you know enough, you'll be good. Now, we have to work harder in our knowledge in order to be accepted. Today, we might not identify ourselves as Gnostics, but we do have all these other ideas like naturalism, like postmodernism, like the New Age movement. Naturalism, this idea that everything we have comes from what we can see and observe naturally. There is nothing beyond what we have. Everything is explainable. Everything is natural. We have no other need for anything else because naturalism explains everything. It's not about anybody else. It's just about what you can see and observe and predict and, and prove naturally. We have postmodernism. The truth is relative. You ever heard that now that you live your truth, that everyone has their own truth? Postmodernism is invasive to our culture, that if your truth differs from my truth, that's fine. We all just have different truths, that everything is relative. Gnosticism, focus on personal revelation and insight as the key to salvation. This idea pretty much boiled down to what you know is more important than who you know. 
the New Age movement, seeking the oneness of all things. The universe is us. I am the universe. Everything we need is already on the inside of us. We just need to dive deep enough to release it. You have everything that you need inside of you, that we are all one. The worship of angels, that we've addressed this in the last chapter of the preeminence of Christ, that he is all we need, but this church was falling prey to the worship of angels, that as long as you had enough visions, if you had all these mystical experiences, then you were really good. But you were to pursue mystical experiences, visions of angels, all of these new and higher thoughts that would actually allow God to see you as better. Maybe he would even accept you. And, and, and while we're on the topic of angels, do you know that you actually are more valuable than angels? Why, why do I say that? Because were angels made in the image of God? Did Jesus die for angels? This church was falling prey to this idea that oh, these angels come and visit us and this is what we need to see and this is, this, is, this is the true religion. And even in the Bible, we would see that angels visit people, people fall on their face because they think they're gonna die because they think they see God. And what's the angel? The angel says, hey, get up. I'm not him. Get up. I just have something to tell you on behalf of the one who sent me. Don't worship me. Worship the one who sent me. Now, this church was falling prey to these ideologies, these, these concepts, and they were forsaking Christ. And maybe one of the most dangerous ones of all, the worship of self. That I am my own God. That we make ourselves God. We submit to ourselves. We belong to ourselves. We please ourselves. We listen to ourselves. We rule ourselves. We lord over ourselves. Everything is about me, and I'm in charge. Martin Luther said that the first commandment is the first commandment because it's the first commandment. He said you can't break any other commandment without first breaking the first one. And what is the first commandment? They shall have no other gods before me. That we can't, Martin Luther's idea, we can't disobey God until we take him out of his position. And what do we do more often than not? We put ourselves in his position. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton said it like this, English writer, philosopher, and theologian says this. So you are the creator and the redeemer of the world. Well, what a small world that must be. What a little heaven you must inhabit with angels no bigger than butterflies. How sad it is to be God and an inadequate God. Is there really no life fuller and no love more marvelous than yours? And is it really in your small and painful pity that all flesh must put its faith? How happier would you be? How much more of you there would be if a hammer of a higher God could smash your small cosmos, scattering the stars like spangles, and leave you in the open, free like other men to look up as well as down. If you claim to be God yourself, you do not have anyone above you to look up to. You can only look down on everybody else. That is the danger and the folly of this kind of thing the danger of making ourselves God. It lends itself to individualism. 
that now it's about me, now it's about what I can do and what best pleases me. Again, I'm going to quote Pastor AJ because he's amazing. He says uh, a couple weeks ago in a sermon that you are called individually, but you are not called alone. Which means that this life that we're called to live is not one to be lived by ourselves, but we are called to be in the body of Christ. Now, when we see all these things, these ligaments and these joints that God has called us to be a part of and adhering to the head, it's so important that we don't steer away from this. Why? Because it says this, let no one disqualify you. Let no one disqualify you. When I think about this, I think that's a pretty heavy word for Paul to use. Because when I hear disqualify, I think that I'm out of the game, that I can't do this anymore. I can't play anymore. And what is Paul talking about? That we should not let these things disqualify us. He says, don't let these things take you away from God. Now, this does not mean that we are going to be outside of God's love. We know that in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from God's love. We know that to be true that nothing can separate us from God's love. But what happens is that we disqualify ourselves from experiencing Jesus as intimately as he wants us to. We disqualify ourselves from maybe Colossians chapter one, Christ, the hope of glory, being alive in Christ and living the life that he's called us to live. And we start settling for shadows if we start not adhering to the head and holding fast to what God has said for us to do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes about the body of Christ and how we are all members of one body and we are holding fast to the head of Christ. In this same way, he's saying, Don't disqualify yourselves, Colossae. Don't disqualify yourselves by letting go of the head and retreating into individualism, retreating into postmodernism, retreating into the worship of angels, or maybe even retreating into yourself because we end up losing connection with the head. And what is the head? The head is Christ. The head of the church is Christ. And we are made alive in Christ. Now we are his body sent and, and, and made informed, empowered to do his will. Trying to live the Christian life without submitting to the head will at best change your habits and at worst disqualify us from the prize of growing in Christ. We are the body of Christ. And lastly, the truth of Christ. Verses 20 through 23, it says, If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to these things that all perish as they're used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. In promoting self-made religion and asceticism, there's that word again, this false humility and and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He's asking, now, if you were dead to the world and alive in Christ, why do you keep living in the world? That's simply what he's asking. 
He's saying, I've spent a chapter and a half, a chapter and a half talking about what Christ did to free you from this, that you've received the good news of the gospel, which is Jesus. It's all Jesus, not Jesus and Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He spent chapters talking to this church about the truth of Christ and the life of Christ and how he is the source in everything that we need. We don't need to add anything to him. He's saying, now, if that's true for you, why are you going? backward. If you've been made alive, why are you going back to death? This is a dangerous mindset. It's legalism masked as discipline. I know what to do and I know what not to do. I know what makes God happy and I know what makes God mad. See, the thing about discipline and morality and legalism is that they might be really good servants, but they're a really bad God. We continue with our disciplined lifestyle and we forget the one in which we are disciplined for. We obey and serve God because we love him, not so that he loves us. We obey and we are disciplined for God because we love him, not so that he loves us. My friend um, got a flat tire one time and he called me, and I think I was napping, and he got me out of my bed and he was like, hey man, I got a flat tire, I need you to come get me. And I was about 15 minutes down the road, so I get up out of my bed and I go and see him. And I was like, man, so we fix his tire on the side of the road and we take his car here and I drive him here and I drop him off here. And you know the whole ordeal. You know when you're asleep and you wake up and even if it's a small thing, it's all of a sudden a big thing because you're asleep. And so that was me. And I remember going back and I was like, man, I'm a great friend. And I go back to my house and literally, I'm not even kidding, literally the next day, I kid you not, the next day he calls me out of my sleep and I was like, if you, he's like, bro, you won't believe this. I got another flat tire. And I was like, you're lying. I was like, you did not get two flat tires in a row. Two days in a row. That's not true. And so I was like, man, I'm a great friend. So I get up out of my sleep again. I nap a lot. And I go to my friend and I help him with his car again. Take him to go get it fixed again. And when we do that, I remember I drop him off at his house. And I was like, man, like that served him so well. It loved him so well. This was great. And I remember going back home. And, 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 and I tell that story because what if, what if all of a sudden the next day I went back to his house and I started changing his tires and he didn't have a flat tire? What if all of a sudden I went back to his house and I was like, hey, man, I'm going to take your car to the shop. Like, I, I know, I know you, you, you're prone to flat tires. All of a sudden, I, I start changing his tires that are fine in, in, in response because I think that that's what he wants. I think sometimes we could do this with God. That we see something in God. We say, God, I know what to do. I know what pleases you. And so I'm going to do that and try and please you some more. That this action pleased and served my friend in the moment, but after the moment was over, that action no longer was what he needed or even desired. 
And we have done things for God that says, God, this is what you want. Did you like this? The Old Testament, these, this is what Colossae was thinking. This is what we used to do. You were happy when I did it here. And all of a sudden, that's not what God asks for anymore. And they keep going back, changing God's tires over and over and over again. When God is saying, I don't need you to change my tire anymore. My tire is fine. What I'm asking for you to do is love me and not just do what you think will please me. That is not about going back and changing tires, if you will, but it's about loving God. Don't do this and don't do that. And I think some of us have learned Christianity in the negative instead of the positive. That I know how to be a Christian by what I don't do instead of what I actually do. That these things are saying, well, Christians don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do If you go on the street right now and you say, explain a Christian to me, what are people going to say? I think we are all pretty aware. They're going to say, oh, well, they're judgmental. They're against this. They don't like that. They're against this. They're mean to these people. They don't like those types of people. That sadly, right now, modern Christianity, at least in my sphere, is known for what we are against rather than what we're for. And where does it say? It says in John 13, 35, that they will know us by what? Our, our love for one another, that they're not going to know us by what we're against. They're not supposed to know us by what we're against. They're supposed to know us by what we're for. And this church was saying, well, I'm not going to do that. That's a bad thing. And they were submitting themselves to this false teaching that I'm going to be known for what I'm against rather than what I'm for. Because deep down, I think sometimes we live this way because we think that we think just like the church at Colossae. We think that God primarily wants my good behavior and then my heart. We need to stop pointing to customs and start pointing to the cross. I want you to read, I don't have time, but I want you to read Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. And this is talking about how to live a positive Christian lifestyle, not a negative one. You'll notice in that passage of scripture that there is not one thing that Paul mentions that tells us to live the Christian life in the negative. It is all in the positive. And lastly is verse 22. It says, Referring to all these things that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, these indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism or false humility and, uh, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What Paul is saying here is that the things that matter are the things that last. And he's saying these things don't even last. These things right here, that they, they all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. That these things are momentary, that they're not even going to please you. Even the things that we do to please ourselves aren't going to last. And the things that we use to deny ourselves aren't going to last. The thing that's going to last is Jesus. 
And Paul was saying, it doesn't matter about the things that you do and the things that you don't do. We are called in this passage right here to not be judged, uh, judged and disqualified by what we do and what we don't do. We are called to be judged and qualified by Christ and by Christ alone. That the source of our life, the source of the Christian life in which the body of Christ grows is through Jesus. That Jesus came and did what we couldn't do and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And because of that, he attributed his righteousness to us that now by his spirit, we can live the life that he's called us to live. And so many Christians have been retreating back to the life that they were delivered from just like the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. They said, man, life was better back there. I liked it back there when they were being whipped and they were slaves. And they said, I wish that we could go back there. We have the same mentality sometimes. That we aren't living in this new life that Jesus has brought us and died for us to have. And we are retreating back to this. Why? Because it's easier. Why? Because the world says so. Why? Because it feels better. Why? Because I can measure my Christianity satisfaction and my grade point average with Jesus. Because I can do things. What God is, is asking us to do is, is to focus on the person of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, these things don't last. And it's sad because Paul says they have the appearance of wisdom. As I close, if Stephen can come up here. These things have the appearance of wisdom. And he essentially says, now I would tell you to do these things if they actually were wise, but they aren't. I, I, I would encourage you to move in that direction if it was a good idea, but it's actually not a good idea. That they have the appearance of wisdom. It might look good on the outside. It might sound appealing to your ears. But at the end of the day, these things are just like, th these practices are so empty. They're like cutting off a branch and expecting the tree to die. That we are just filling it with empty actions that don't even last, that sound good in the moment, but don't provide any substance. Because why our substance is found in Christ. Paul is saying that the point of this is Jesus, that we are made alive in Jesus. And we are substituting the source for a shadow. We've been made alive in Christ. We've, we've died to this world. We don't belong there anymore. You might have grown up there, but that's not your home anymore, son and daughter. That might be what you've known, but there is something else for you. That Jesus made you alive in Christ even when you were dead in your trespasses. That he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. This life that Jesus has given us wasn't free. It's free for us, but it was costly for him. He died so that we could have this free life. And how dare we sometimes retreat back to what Jesus died to keep us from. We fill our lives with these empty traditions. 
These things that were good in their time, God made them good in their time to point to his grace. But we use these things to point to our morality. I mean, how, how much do we need to understand that that is not our life anymore? That Jesus is our life. That Jesus is our source. That we cannot, we have to fight the urge Fight what the world is telling us to go into a performance-based religion that is based off of legalism and how, what we do and what we drink and what we eat and where we go and what we say and who we're around and start focusing on the person of Jesus and say, he is the source of my life and he is my freedom. He nailed my sins to the cross, putting them to open shame. Not my morality, not my discipline, not my false humility. But the person of Jesus did that for me. And because Jesus did that for me, I now get the privilege of walking in Christ. The one who set me free in the first place. The one for whom I was set free. That's Jesus. That we can't hold on to these lies of conduct and these lies of concept. But we have to hold fast, fight the good fight, and hold fast to the truth of Christ. Will you pray with me? God, we love you so much. Jesus, you are so good. You are so good. God, would your spirit empower us to neglect and forsake the, the lie of conduct. That we would see actions and substitute them for the real substance. God, would you set us free from the lie of concept that if we just think better, if we have a better mindset, if we have more spiritual experiences, if, if, we, if we fall into these other ideas or ideologies that, that, that sound good but actually produce nothing but death, God, would you free us from that? These lies that hold us captive, these lies that, 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 that we're holding the church at Colossae captive, God, would you free us from that and, 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 and invite us, God, bring us, usher us back in by your spirit into the truth of Christ. If there's anyone who wants to give their life to Jesus, whether it's rededicating your life or coming to him for the first time, we want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Jesus lived the life you should have lived and gave you the life that he lived. He paid the debt on your behalf so you wouldn't have to. Jesus died so you don't have to. There's a life available in Christ and it's by faith through grace. Not of our own works, but exactly of what Jesus did. If you wanna make that decision, I just want you to click that button in the chat right now. Maybe even raise your hand as a sign of faith in this moment. If that's you, you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me in your heart. Say, Father, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I choose to turn away from sin. Turn away from these false teachings and the way I used to live. And choose to walk in the freedom that your blood purchased for me. 
I believe in Jesus that he's the son of God. Then he died on the cross, was laid in a tomb, and was raised on the third day. I put my faith in him. And I choose to take my faith out of myself. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for forgiving me. Holy Spirit, empower me to live the life that Jesus died for me to have. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision, there's a really simple thing that we want you to do. We want you to take out your phone and text New Life to the number 25827. It's real simple. What that'll do is that'll bring up a form and we can help walk alongside of you on this journey to knowing Jesus. Because it's not just about making a one-time decision, but it's a lifelong decision to say yes to Jesus every day. And we want to do that with you. We have a class every Sunday called Discover Discipleship. That class teaches you, you have time with a pastor, and it teaches you how that you and I can walk this Christian life, the basic principles of our faith, and how to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. If you made that decision, congratulations. We love you so much. You guys are so amazing.